Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Bible teacher and prophecy researcher Michael Samuel Smith will begin a series on women in ministry, and James Collins will have a special segment for us that everyone will want to hear. This summer, we have a very special online event, our Summer Virtual Prophecy Conference, 10 different speakers, all online and all on demand. Watch when you want, as often as you want. From July 15th through the 24th, you'll have complete access to special sessions by Michael Hoggard, Kamal Salim, Micah Van Huss, J.R. Church, Rob Linstead, Larry Spargimino, Noah Hutchings, Doc Marquis, Ambassador Henry Cooper, and Eric Barger. Register today for the Summer Virtual Prophecy Conference by visiting the events section of our website, swrc.com or by calling 1-800-652-1144. Now, let's join Pastor Larry Spargimino and his guest, Michael Samuel Smith, as they look at women in ministry then and now. This DVD is somewhat a departure from what you normally do. I see it deals with women in ministry then and now, and you focus on women in the Old and New Testament, as well as how women are being used in ministry today. So my question is, what prompted you to create this teaching, and what do you hope to accomplish with this DVD? Well, to start, Pastor Larry, I strongly believe there's a lot of confusion about what the Bible has to say about women and their role in ministry. As a foundation, it's important we go back into the Scriptures and use that as a guide and see what the functions of women are supposed to be in sharing the gospel and ministry. We really sought the whole counsel of God as we researched this subject. We wanted the audience to know We have strayed so far from the Word of God concerning women and how they fit in the ministry that, like the Bereans, we too need to compare how women are to be utilized within the context of God's ministry, line upon line, precept upon precept, as we seek truth. This teaching is chock full of surprises. In fact, there's a lot here that people have never heard before. The main purpose in creating this DVD is to let women know just how important they really are. We strongly believe women are being underutilized in their role today in the church. We are confident that will not be the case in the Millennial Kingdom. This is the reason God gave many examples of women in leadership positions within ministry. If the folks take the time to watch this teaching, It will not only show how many new ideas are out there, but you will be better informed how ministry is supposed to work. We want women to know ministry can be very exciting, and hopefully they will desire to get more involved with their local church and be more of a personal witness for Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen to that. Well, I can vouch, and I know many pastors who would agree with me, some of our best church members, some of the members who really want to study the scriptures, they ask questions, they take notes, (laughs) and they even, some of them I know, learn Greek so they can read the New Testament in Greek, and they're women. Now, isn't that interesting? So, I've looked at the DVD. I think it's certainly something that we need. Now, 
In your DVD, you show examples of women in the Bible, but I noticed that Mary Magdalene was the first one you discussed. What led you to pick her first? Well, we believe that Mary Magdalene is one of the most important females in the New Testament. This may come as a surprise to most, but the Bible talks a lot more about her than what people knew. If you ask the average person what their idea about her was, many would say she was a prostitute. How that lie got started was in 591 A.D., Pope Gregory the Great stated Mary was a prostitute. Yes, it's true, she had seven demons in her, and Jesus cast them out of her early in his ministry. She also had some kind of sickness or disease. Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3 tells us about that. But to set the story straight, the Catholic Church came back in 1969 and stated there was no basis in the scriptures that Mary was a prostitute. I guess they changed their mind. I spent about five months of intense research going over several women in the Bible, not only assembling still photos for this film, but I had to go to several commentaries as well and purchase outside resources and reviewed what the Internet had to say, but the scriptures were always at the forefront. My biggest surprise was how much I learned about Mary Magdalene just from what's in the Bible. I always teach from the King James Bible, but concerning women in the Bible that are involved in ministry, there are several key words in the Greek that give us a much more clear picture. Case in point, in Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, Mary, along with other women, ministered unto Jesus with their substance. That word substance in the Greek is huperchonton. That's H-U-P-A-R-C-H-O-U-N-T-O-N. That alludes to they gave their goods or possessions or their property. It wasn't just a one-time offering. Here are some stunning things about Mary Magdalene most have not heard. Based on history, we believe Mary was a wealthy widow woman. But the Bible says she also was the mother of John Mark. Mm -hmm. It says that in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. You might want to write that one down. When you go to the book of Mark in the New Testament, Mark wasn't one of the apostles. He was John Mark, Mary's son. But the book of Mark are the teachings of the apostle Peter given to him from the Holy Spirit. But Mark wrote them down. There is a very strong evidence Mary Magdalene, too, was the owner of the upper room. The upper room is mentioned 260 times in the New Testament. Mary probably lived on the bottom floor, and the apostles and Jesus frequented there because it was very close to the temple, and it was the only place that they were safe. When Peter was placed in prison after the resurrection, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And Peter was mysteriously released from the prison in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. He thinks about what has just taken place, and he heads to Mary's house. That's Mary's upper room house, where they were all gathered. This is the same upper room at the Feast of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You may also be interested to know Mary Magdalene was the sister of Barnabas. Yes, the Barnabas who years later traveled with Paul. You will find that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. might want to write that one down, too. You've got to dig down deep to get this one. But Colossians chapter 4, verse 10 mentions Marcus, sister John to Barnabas. Remember, Marcus is John Mark, also found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. As you can see, digging 
deep in the word can produce great rewards. Well, back to Mary Magdalene, she was also there at the crucifixion. It tells us that in John chapter 19, verse 25. She actually helped prepare Jesus' body for burial as well. That's found in Matthew chapter 27, verse 61, Mark chapter 15, verse 47, and Luke chapter 23, verse 55. She was the first to see the empty tomb, John chapter 20, verse 1, and officially was the first go-and-tell witness after Jesus' resurrection. John chapter 20, verse 1, as well as verses 13 through 18. Mary was also there in the upper room with Jesus' mother Mary on the Feast of Pentecost. Even though there are at least five or six different Marys in the New Testament, hopefully we were able to show you a very different Mary Magdalene, who's a wonderful example to us all in how we all need to get involved in ministry. Amen. The most controversial talking point that I know our audience will be interested in is how do you respond to the Apostle Paul stating in 1 Corinthians 14.34 where he says, let your women keep silent in the churches. And also, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.11, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. What's your response to that? Yes, there are two scriptures hotly contested, these two even today by many people, especially many preachers as well. But I'm up to the challenge, Pastor Larry, so <laughs> let's unpack each question separately. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, and it's important to go to the following verse in verse 35. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in church. Now, in verse 34, it sounds like Paul is telling women to keep silent and not speak under obedience, saith the law. I wanted the folks to know, I teach from the King James Bible, but there are specific times when it's necessary to look at key words and see what its meaning is in the Greek language. As you know, the entire New Testament is written from the Greek language. The Greek language is so fine-tuned, every Greek word has to meet five requirements to even qualify as a Greek word. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, the Greek word for silence here is sigeo. That's S-I-G-A-O. It alludes to a modification of behavior. In today's language, it means keeping silent and controlling one's mouth as opposed to rambunctiously speaking. It may come as a surprise to many, but in Paul's day, women were not allowed in the synagogue as to weekly services. The Apostle Paul was the first to invite women into the synagogue. Once there, the men sat on one side of the room and the women on the other. Even though Jewish women were experiencing a new found freedom, some women were disrupting the service by asking questions during the service. Paul goes on to answer that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 35, where he said, And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in church. By the way, the word here for ask in Greek is eperote. That's E-P-E-R-O-T-A-O, -E meaning interrogate. So Paul is suggesting that if any women have questions, it's for them to ask their husband at home and has no bearing on a woman teaching or being a guest speaker at a church today. To answer your second question now, 
which is one of the most misunderstood questions today, reference women in ministry, concerning 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, where it says, And let the women learn in silence for all subjection. Once again, as we look at the Greek word for learn, it is manthano. That's M-A-N-T-H-A-N-O. It means learning to be an apprentice, and in this case, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And most importantly, the word for silence in this scripture does not mean speechless or muted. The Greek word here is hesechia, and that's H-E-S-U-C-H-I-A. It depicts a calm behavior as opposed to an inappropriate or unacceptable behavior. Paul added to this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to observe authority over the man, but to be in silence. In this verse, the phrase absurd authority is authenteo. That's A-U-T-H-E-N-T-E-O, which is describing a domineering attitude or literally to use one's position to take up against another. In this case, Paul is instructing Timothy not to allow women to have a domineering attitude against the pastor. It could also apply to her husband. Whether it be a man or a woman, he or she is not to use their position to dominate or manipulate anyone else. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us we are to honor Christ by submitting to each other. And Galatians 3, verses 28 and 29 sets the record straight about women's functions participating in ministerial outreach. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And that settles it for that. Amen. First Timothy 2.12, Paul says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority. The word authority there is a word that appears only once in the New Testament. The normal word for authority is exousia, and Paul doesn't use that word here in verse 12. So I think that's very significant. And it's speaking about harping, carping, abusing, disturbing. So it's not the normal word for authority. And I think you bring that out very well. And I think that's an important point. While we're on the subject of discussing Paul and his relationship with women ministers, I noticed you talk about Achilla and Priscilla, as well as several other women Paul placed in ministry in your DVD. So just take a moment and tell us about that. Well, during the time that Paul was in Athens, there was a Christian couple who lived in Rome. The Roman Emperor Claudius was so upset with the Christians, he had them all thrown out of Rome. This included the couple Aquila and Priscilla. They probably lost any land that they owned, as well as their possessions and finances. They got on a ship and headed east. They ended up in Corinth. Around this same time, Paul had just arrived in Corinth from Athens. Meeting each other was a eureka moment as the couple met Paul for the first time. The Bible gives us insight later what an impact this couple had on Paul and his ministry. In fact, in Romans chapter 16, verse 4, Paul tells us, For they have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. As we look at the introduction of Aquila and Priscilla in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, the next five times we see this couple in the scriptures, Priscilla's name is always mentioned first. I'm sure the Holy Spirit did that for a reason, but it's important to understand Paul's ideas about Christianity, 
were totally radical and revolutionary as to the norm of his day. He was always a champion for women's rights. Both Aquila and Priscilla had a major impact on Paul's ministry in Corinth, so much so that Paul transferred them to Ephesus later. Another woman Paul puts in very high position is Phoebe. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, he said, I command unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centuria. The word servant here is diakonon. That's D-I-A-K-O-N-O-N, which is a Greek word for, and get this, female deacon in Greek. So Paul calls her a deaconess in our own language today. So Phoebe is a servant who had delegated responsibilities that often include public and managerial functions. Paul said in Romans chapter 16, verse 2, Receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a secure of many and of myself also. This certainly doesn't sound like Paul wants women to remain silent to me. It also says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, we also see Iodias and Syntyche, two women who labored with Paul in the gospel and said their names are in the book of life. In Paul's day, women were treated very poorly in all societies. In the Greek and Roman societies, women couldn't divorce their husbands. In fact, women couldn't even shop in the open marketplace alone. If you saw a woman there alone, she was probably a prostitute. Only men were allowed to shop. Well, ladies, it sounds pretty scary by today's standards, I know, but that's the way it was back then. And on a side note, I'm in my 70s now, but my father was born 103 years ago in 1919. Women in America could not vote in any national or local elections back then. In fact, under U.S. law in 1919, a woman couldn't own land. And if a woman lived on a farm with her husband and her husband died, there were actual cases where the bank or the state took over the land or farm. Because of the courageous work of Susan B. Anthony, women's suffrage was passed in August 1920, a year after my father was born. Mm. It was only after that that women could vote or own land, technically. And by the way, Susan B. Anthony was born and raised in my hometown, Adams, Massachusetts, in 1820. And I actually grew up with some of her relatives. So, ladies, you have a lot to be grateful for on the backs of many brave and courageous women before your time. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Brother Mike. Praise the Lord for your research and your study. Thank you so much, Pastor Larry, for allowing me to be with you today. Today we have Michael Samuel Smith's brand new documentary, Women in Ministry, Then and Now. This documentary's focus is on women in ministry from Bible times to the present. Order this DVD today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can always order online, swrc.com. Staff evangelist James Collins comes now to share a tough decision a young girl named Patricia had to make. The Bible says in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. If you'll bear with me for a minute, I'd like to share a story about a young pregnant girl. This is Patricia's story. I can't keep this baby. 
Those were the last words Patricia said as she walked out the door. Her mother began to cry. Her heart was breaking for her daughter. Patricia was so young. She was only 14. She was too young to have a child. So she decided to terminate the pregnancy. Patricia's mother tried to reason with her. You can't do that. It's murder. Patricia screamed at her mother. It's my body. It's my life. It's my choice. Then with hot tears rolling down her cheeks, she calmly said, I can't keep this baby. And she walked out the door. Patricia walked into the sunshine. It was a beautiful late summer day. She put her hand on her stomach. A child was growing in there. Soon the summer would end. School started back in a few weeks. She had to end this pregnancy before then. But could she do it? Could she have an abortion? As she walked alone, her thoughts turned to the baby's father, Tim. Patricia thought that she loved him. She thought they would be together forever. But when she told Tim she was going to have a baby, he broke up with her. Tim's parents offered to pay for the procedure. They wanted the situation just to go away. Tim had recently been named All-American as an athlete and scholar. He had a bright future. He was going to college. He was going to be somebody. A wife and a baby didn't fit into his plans. Besides, Tim's parents hated Patricia. She was from the wrong side of the tracks. They would never consider letting their son marry poor white trash like Patricia. Patricia thought about her mother. She had just begged her not to have an abortion. She had offered to take the baby and raise the baby for Patricia. Patricia thought about the child growing inside of her. Was it really a child or was it just a mass of tissue? Should she have it or should it be just cut out like cancer? Patricia thought about God. Where was he in all of this? It had been so long since she felt the presence of God. Did he care about her? Did he care about the baby? She dropped to her knees right there on the sidewalk and prayed, God, I need you now more than ever. I messed up, and I don't know what to do. Should I have this baby? Patricia was startled when a voice answered, You should have the baby. She felt a hand touch her shoulder. She opened her eyes to see her mother. She had been following her. Patricia stood to her feet, and they embraced. Patricia did have the baby, and Patricia's mother took him as her own child. They named him James. I am Patricia's baby. One woman's decision to abort instead of birthing would have altered history, at least my history. The issue of abortion is once again the top news story because the Supreme Court has voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, according to Politico, which received a supposedly leaked copy of the opinion draft. Abortion is a problem that has divided our nation between those who are pro-life and those who are pro-choice. Personally, I can't stand the term pro-choice. If you're pregnant, the choice was made when you decided to do the act that led to the conception. Pro-life and pro-death are my preferred terms. Since the Supreme Court decision was leaked, there have been pro-death protests at church, government buildings, and even at the homes of Supreme Court justices. However, if you read the opinion draft, abortion will not become illegal, but will instead be a decision of each individual state. So those who are pro-death will just be inconvenienced by possibly having to travel to another state to murder their baby. By the way, have you noticed that everyone who is for abortion has already been born?
Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, there have been over 63 million aborted babies in the United States alone. There have been 12 billion abortions worldwide in the last 40 years. America is not the first country to deal with the issue of abortion. The Bible tells us ancient Israel turned away from God. They turned to Baal. They made a bronze idol of Baal. Parents offered up their babies on the idol and watched them be burned alive. Now, it would be hard to find anyone today who would admit to worshiping a false god, but under the spirit of Baal, we have killed over 63 million little babies. According to the Word of God, abortion is one of the worst murders a human being can commit. About abortion, the Scripture says in Psalm 10, verse 8, In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. The secret place is the womb of a mother. Definitely the baby is an innocent. No person who is fully aware of another's total innocence normally kills that other human being. Even wild beasts such as bears will fight to the death to defend their young. But today man has made himself even lower than brute beasts by slaying innocent unborn babies. Further, the Bible says in Psalm 127.3, Lo, children are an inheritance of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. If children are a heritage or a reward for parents, abortion destroys God-given rewards. I'm amazed at how many people who claim Christ say they are also for abortion. You cannot, I say again, you cannot be a professing Christian and be for abortion. God says over and over in His Word that life is precious and it begins at conception. God help any Christian who is soft on this issue. Children in the womb are not clumps of cells. They are people. They are sons and daughters. They are innocent of any crime deserving death. Perhaps someone listening to me now may be guilty of this great sin in the past. Perhaps you were not aware of the seriousness of this sin. Jesus is gracious and he's compassionate. Go to the Lord with a broken and contrite heart and deeply repent of your sin. It will be good also if you can go to a mature and reliable servant of God for further counseling. That person may guide you in cleaning and freeing your guilty conscience. The Lord will surely forgive you, and He will give you a new heart and a new life. Human life is a magnificent thing. Every human being, no matter how small, is fearfully and wonderfully made. Every human being, no matter how disregarded, bears the image of God. And every human being, no matter how weak, will keep on living forever. I, for one, am grateful to a woman named Patricia who opted for life. My life. This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Today our featured resource is Michael Samuel Smith's brand new documentary, Women in Ministry, Then and Now. This documentary's focus is on women in ministry from Bible times to the present. Order this DVD today when you call toll-free 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144 or order online, swrc.com. Tomorrow on Watchmen on the Wall, Michael Samuel Smith continues his look at women 
in ministry. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Thank you.